you, you spent a long time at Amazon, right? So when you thought about your career, when you started, have you been the planner who's like, I'm going to get there? You plot and you get there. Or have you been the take one day at a time, surround myself with smart people and see how it goes? Like, how, how did you approach uh, career planning? And, and, you know, when you look at where you are today? There was a, uh, a moment in time, I suppose, where I switched from just taking, taking uh, my job as a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, and thinking more strategically. And uh, at the time, I had spent about six years as corporate controller at Amazon, and it was a period of time when it was growing from about a billion in revenue to about 10 billion in revenue, and still very small by today's standards for, for, for Amazon. Um, but I had been uh, promoted kind of in a field promotion sort of way in the early days. Uh, two corporate controllers right before me had been asked to go take uh, new roles as the company was growing, um, growing fast. And they looked around and said, who else could possibly do this uh, that we have? And, and I was this 28-year-old uh, former auditor who uh, apparently seemed competent enough to, to take the role. And so over the next six years, I really um, uh, learned how to be a leader um, through many, many mistakes, uh, how to hire, um, uh, what kinds of people to hire, um, but was doing really well kind of on that day-to-day, just, you know, we got to survive, we're growing, we're expanding internationally, many different products. Uh, and there was no time, honestly, to step back and think, you know, how am I doing on my career and am I going the direction that I want to? I just kind of assumed I was going the right direction because it just felt like, you know, we were accomplishing great things and it uh, was a great company. About that sixth year as corporate controller, uh, I went to a family event. My grandparents were celebrating their 60th uh, wedding anniversary. And a cousin of mine who was uh, probably 15 years older than me, who was a senior vice president at a public company, um, I talked to him probably once every five years at situations like this. And uh, he came up and was like, hey, you know, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, how's, how's work? And I said, well, you know, I'm corporate controller at Amazon and we're doing really well. And he's like, huh, you know, I think I talked to you five years ago and you gave me the same answer. <laughs> and uh, I, it, at first I was kind of like, you got to be kidding me. I'm doing pretty well here. You know, I'm in my young 30s, I've got a big, uh, a big role. I've got like a team of 100 people. Seemed like I was doing fine, but he was making a broader point. And uh, like some of the best mentors, uh, he was very sharp in the way he approached it. He said, well, do you have career goals? And I, I said, well, of course. He's like, great. Have you written it down? And uh, I'm like, well, no. And, and he's like, well, then you don't have career goals. You haven't taken it seriously. And uh, I remember just kind of stewing on it. And I, I went away and I ha- went to some conference actually the next week. And so I had some time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to show him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this down. It was a really, this is the moment where I went from day to day to strategic thinking about, about career. I wrote down, you know, what do I want to be five years from now? And I thought that was really strategic. And that was the approach that I took. But the problem is over the course of three days, I wrote it and tore it up like five, six times. It just wasn't resonating. And uh, it dawned on me, and being at a company that's always talking about long-term focus, uh, I was really slow on the uptake to expand the time horizon. 
And instead of saying, what do I want to be in five years, answer the question, what do I want to be in 20 years? And it completely changed the, um, the perspective of kind of my entire career and how I approached it. In the five-year scenario, I said, well, I want to be chief accounting officer, which was my boss at, at Amazon. And in that scenario, pretty much in a five-year time horizon, uh, the only answer was to stay in the current role that I was in. Uh, because in five years, if I want that job, taking anything else just was a non sequitur to being that, in that role. Um, but on a long-term horizon, I set the goal of I want to be a senior finance leader capable of being CFO at a Fortune 500. So that was, that was my statement. And when you change the statement to something like that and then ask yourself, how am I doing? you realize, well, wait a second, I spent five years at Deloitte um, and six years as the controller of a public company, tech company that's doing well. I've probably got the experience now on the accounting front to support being a CFO someday. And what was painfully obvious was that the right answer for me was exactly the opposite of what my five-year career plan uh, suggested. And it was at that moment where I, I shifted um, and, and thought more broadly about the career. Got it. And it looks like you were already thinking about the gaps. I have the accounting experience, but if I need to become this senior finance leader, how do I fill the gaps? And how did you approach that? How did you think about the gaps that were in your, how did you identify them and how did you go about filling those gaps? I think uh, to be a CFO, there's a kind of thinking that you might, trap yourself into, which is linear. Like, okay, I need, um, you know, corp dev experience. I need, you know, FP&A experience. And you kind of go through the checklist. And that can be a rigid way, and I think a successful way, I'm sure as you've talked to others, of kind of moving through the path to be a CFO. Um, I was approaching it as... Um, Nearly any experience that would be complementary towards being a CFO, I was open to. And, and I was actually open to roles that in a shorter horizon, uh, you would think, wow, why are you doing that? That's a step back. My very first role after corporate controller, uh, the CFO asked me to take the number two position in investor relations at Amazon. And... Uh, I was a director, I was very close to VP at the time, um, at leading the, uh, the accounting organization, um, and I was being offered uh, a job where I would have no direct reports when the day before I had about 100. And I was being asked to report to a fellow director where the day before I was reporting to a senior vice president. So kind of across any normal assessment criteria, you would say, this is a terrible idea. And lots of people did. My, my former boss said I was on a sabbatical. You know, he's, he's like, like You're, why are you leaving me? Um, but I knew, and the way I thought about it was, um, five years out in the future, looking back, will anyone care that I reported to a director? Will anyone care that I was the number two and not the number one? Um, the only thing that will matter is that I got this experience in investor relations. And so for a year and a half, I got to work closely with Jeff, uh, closely with our CFO, 
interact with investors, prepare for earnings release, releases, and so on, uh, to where after you know, 18 months, I've now got this great experience that was complementary to uh, the CFO path. And um, the, the very next role, and I won't drag you guys through every role that I had over 20 years, I promise, but I think it's illustrative of um, being willing to take roles that maybe don't really resonate with you. Um, the next role I was asked by the CFO to lead internal audit. And my initial reaction was, I really don't want to lead the internal audit team. And nothing again, there's probably some auditors here. And the, the idea again was, okay, uh, looking forward five years and then looking back, will I be glad that I ran internal audit um, at Amazon for a period of time? And that, would that contribute to my overall leadership abilities, uh, assessment of risk, assessment of process, and all those answers were yes. And in fact, in that particular role, I learned a lot about leading senior leaders because I went in to lead a team that had several people that were at the same level that I was at, at the organization, which presents all sorts of challenges when a peer is all of a sudden elevated to uh, a supervisory role over others at the same level. And so learned lots of different things in that period. So I shook uh, Tom Skutak's hand. We agreed two years. You know, it's all I'm asking. And uh, the day I left Amazon a little over a year ago, I was still leading the internal audit team, among other things. So um, Tom, Tom did not hold up his end of the bargain of <laughs> letting me go uh, from internal audit. But uh, we made some agreements along the way that changed that allowed me just to grow the organization um, in addition to internal audit. Got it. And so it looks like you had this fascinating 20-year journey in one company, right? Yeah. So I guess that also had to do with the fact that Amazon was exploding and growing and you had all of these varied opportunities that came in within uh, the organization. Was that the motivation behind saying, I'm getting to do, to do all of these different things, so I might as well just continue? Or did you at any point look outside and say, hey, are there things that I you know?" Arguably, you had other opportunities to go be get the CFO title even sooner, right? And so, how did you think about that trade-off? I didn't spend a whole lot of time to be perfectly. I mean, it'd be great if I had this great answer for you. But um, what I would tell you was, for 20 years, I was very much heads down focused on Amazon and on my career there. And one of the adjustments that I've had to make coming to the San Francisco area and getting out of that ecosystem of Amazon was like pulling my head up and uh, realizing that there are other companies and there's, there's peers at other companies. I did very little networking outside of the company. It was, um, it was very interesting. Um, but I came to a moment about a year and a half ago where um, I decided that, um, you know what, the, this narrative that I had in my head of, um, oh, maybe I'll retire early, which was always like, maybe five years from now I'll retire, so I won't go do something um, else. And then I kind of had that moment of realization that, you know what, I'm just fooling myself. I enjoy, I enjoy working way too much. There's no way I would, um, I would retire early. And then it was like, well, wait a second. I'm a 20-year I'm person at Amazon. Do I really want to be a 35-year person at Amazon? And, um, and that started the path of just um, becoming more open to listening to the inbounds uh, because I was literally like auto-delete 
uh, when recruiters would reach out to me. Uh, I became open to the idea and then started talking to some mentors uh, to, to get a sense of you know, how I should think about it. And um, uh, Robinhood was the, was the clear choice. Amazing. So as you went through that 20-year journey, you must have seen the finance team at Amazon must have grown a lot too, right? And as you looked at a lot of the people at these different levels, what are some of the patterns that you saw in the people who successfully grew rapidly? You did, right? And I'm sure a lot of other people also saw growth. When you look at the people who had that growth and those who didn't, what, what exactly was your takeaway in terms of the patterns, people who grew really well? I think it's a great question. Um, I get a flavor of that question on how to be a leader and what some of the attributes are. And I think it's a very uh, similar uh, concept of what makes one person successful. Uh, I am a believer that you focus, you kind of bring your authentic self. So whether it's your leadership style um, or uh, the skills that you bring to the table, what are your strengths and how can you bring that in an authentic way? And some people might be incredibly uh, gifted at quant. And other people might be you know, more process-oriented. And other people might be big thinkers and strategic. Um, and I think that if you, uh, you kind of double down on those strengths and then work on the things that, are, that don't come as naturally, that you can be successful uh, with really any combination of skill sets that you bring as long as you like, uh, you know, you kind of pass the kind of the horsepower test, if you will, and then are just really deeply engaged and have high standards and you, you drive to get things done. And um, so I, I don't think it's, um, you know, a formula of specific things. I think lots of different people succeeded over time and they all had different skill sets. Um, and uh, it's part of the value of, you know, a diverse workforce is, you value the strengths that everybody collectively brings and you, you come up with something that's so much better than if you got all people that were of one type uh, moving in the same direction. Awesome. So you were at Deloitte. You, had, you started your career in, in audit, right? And so I asked everybody I, I, I talked to in the series this question, and it's fascinating the varied answers I get. But when you think about that path to becoming a CFO and coming from that audit background, coming from an investment banking background, there are such varied backgrounds. What's your experience been? Do you think it matters? And, and uh, if you come from one or the other, how do you kind of, how should you be thinking about that ultimate uh, goal that everybody's working towards, right? Like if you look closely at my experience, um, it is uh, heavy accounting, heavy process, heavy risk, um, I had internal audit, I had enterprise risk, uh, investor relations, a smattering, but not as much of like owning a p and um, I had a little bit of that at the end and then spent a year and a half uh, as chief of staff to the CFO at Amazon. And so I, I kind of filled in the business support and strategic, more strategic elements of finance later. And I was much more of kind of the the accounting path and controls and, and so on. And, it, and I think it fits wonderfully for, for Robinhood. Um, but the, uh, I, I, I think it's a bit company by company on what they really need and what they're looking for. Um, you know, and, and joining Robinhood, um, as I kind of reflect on my first kind of full year, um, 
you know, things that I did well and things that I would um, do slightly differently. Um, I think that I leaned very heavily on my strengths and I didn't pay as much attention to the things that I wasn't as familiar with. And so we made tremendous progress in building the finance team and building the accounting team. Um, but I think that there were some elements of, uh, of the business that I was learning and being a little more cautious on. And, um, and I think that you know, no matter if you come from the VC side or from the accounting side, if you're coming from the VC side, then you're probably intimidated by conversations with your head of tax or maybe your corporate controller and you're, you know, you're finding your way there. Those areas, I've got that in spades. But like capital markets and, and some of the treasury uh, aspects of the business were newer to me. And so my formula is you hire amazing people and, and you are willing to learn from them. And, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, Jeff talking about, Jeff Bezos talking about this at a, at a leadership presentation. Um, like he's leading people that have skill sets that he doesn't have. And you have to be comfortable having really brilliant people in specialized skill sets that report to you. And, and you have to have high standards and great judgment and a curious mindset to get the most out of them. But if you hire people that you're trying to always be you know, a level or two ahead of, um, then your organization overall is gonna be much weaker. And, and so that's, that's how I approach it. Amazing, so you, you talked about <clears throat> lessons learned and, and mistakes. If you were to look back on, on that journey now, you know, at, at Amazon or maybe even at Robinhood, what were some of the big screw-ups that you like, learned from and helped you really grow and, and uh, you know, had that scar tissue got, got built up in you, right? Um, I, I like to joke that um, I built the accounting organization at Amazon on mistakes. Um, there was uh, what I uh, fondly referred to as the walk of shame, you know, walking down the, the hallway, oftentimes past 11 p.m. to explain what went wrong and what we were going to do to make sure it didn't happen again. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the biggest uh, learnings that I had was to hire senior people. Um, you know, I was, I think, 28 or so when I was first put in the, the corporate controller chair uh, at Amazon, and I, I hired a very capable team, but there was that distance between uh, me and the team I was hiring. And it was a, a huge learning that to be able to scale in a, in a you know, rapidly growing uh, company with you know, lots of change, you can't be, you know, uh, the clear senior person in the room. You need, you need a team full of people that are, that are senior. And I really carried that learning forward because uh, there were times when I just felt like I was just burning out. And, uh, and it had a lot to do with um, the seniority of the team that I had built around myself. Got it. Awesome. So now let's talk a little bit about uh, mentorship, right? And clearly... It looked like you had a lot of mentors inside of Amazon as you were growing up and then people who were helping you think about your career at Amazon and maybe even beyond that. And did you have a plan when you wrote down that, you know, this is my 20-year uh, uh, plan of being a senior finance leader, Fortune 500 company? Did that plan have a subsection on seek out mentors? And how did you go about doing that? How did you think about, you know, the mentors you had? How did you run into them? And, you know, I'd love to hear more about that. I, I have uh, mixed results, both being a mentor as well as receiving mentorship. And I, and, and I think I've learned a little bit along the way. Um, 
the uh, on the direct answer to your question, no, I did not have a section in my plan about getting surrounding myself with great mentors. But I did that instinctively, and in fact, uh, my boss at the time, who was the the chief accounting officer, was one of the first people I I came to with my my career plan. He read it and he told me I was an idiot. Um, literally, he did, and um, I was making a mistake. and And he described kind of. Um, successful people and put them in, in different categories of specialists and superstars. And it's like Michael Jordan is kind of this unique person. You're not that. And, you know, and, uh, you know, you're going to be successful by staying the course of specialization. And that was his advice. And, and if I would have followed that, then it would be a, a different outcome, obviously, today than, than where I am. Um, but the, the, the way I think about mentoring, both mentoring others as well as uh, receiving mentorship, has evolved over time. Um, I think the mistakes that I've made along the way is that I've confused networking and mentoring. And uh, both as a, you know, especially as a mentor, I've allowed it to happen. And, and so many times I'd, I'd have these like 45 minute uh, mentoring sessions, um, oftentimes with people from Amazon. And I would kind of walk out and comment to my, my EA, like, God, that was a waste of time. And uh, it's like, I'm getting to know this person, which is great. Um, and I think it was maybe, uh, to some degree, inspirational. Uh, but there wasn't anything of substance coming out of it. And it was like, what is missing? And uh, it probably wasn't until I was going through the process of interviewing at Robinhood where it really kind of dawned on me um, what great mentoring is about. I think it needs to be real time, not backward looking. Like if you go talk to a mentor and they're like, hey, you know, what, what were some of the challenges that you faced over the last few months? And you kind of bring up this instance that's already passed. You're, you're just not engaged and you're not in this like soak it up learning, critical thinking mental space. But when you're going to make a decision, and it's a big decision, and you engage with your mentor in the middle of it, and they ask you questions, and you answer, and they say you're being stupid, and, and, you know, and you're just having this, this real dialogue that's shaping kind of a decision you're about to make, the mentoring has just been incredibly powerful. And I think it's important that it's real time, and then I also think it's important uh, that you get a couple of different perspectives um, and that the people that, that you're seeking mentorship from are very comfortable just telling you you're being an idiot. And uh, the, the one guy, like, I know I wouldn't have gotten the Robin Hood job without, but for my mentor. Like he, he was so generous with his time, um, you know, just talking through like how I need to be thinking about big strategic issues and um, and, and how to approach some of the questions that, I, that we knew were coming. And I would say, oh, the, he would always make me answer the question first, and I'd answer it, and he's just like, oh, no, you can't do that. And, and, you know, and, you just, and, and oftentimes when you force yourself to answer it, like, I already knew it was bad by the time it came out of my mouth. And then, you know, it's just like, stop, you know, I know it's bad. Uh, but, but that real-time direct feedback on a decision you're about to make, super helpful. Uh, the other thing is I think that mentors need to evolve. Um, so there may be points in time in your career where a, a, a particular person is a great mentor for you, but you might outgrow them or your circumstances might change. And in fact, a year ago, my circumstances changed dramatically coming uh, from Seattle 
to Menlo Park um, and now being a, a CFO of a fast-growing company. And uh, one, you know, I'll leave it nameless, but uh, a partner from one of our VCs um, has uh, reached out to me and, and we're developing this mentoring uh, relationship. And it's different issues and it's a different context. And uh, he's been through these things as a CFO and uh, he's really helping me think through uh, situations. And so evolving who you choose as mentors, I think, is also important. That's great. So let's change direction a little bit and talk about the role of finance, right? And you talked about how a lot of your career was on the accounting control side of things. And, and that side of the house you know, has this bigger risk of being seen as back office, right? And yeah. so how did you uh, kind of work through that? Was that just how it is? Or did you work towards getting that seat at the table? What are some of the lessons learned uh, uh, from from that perspective, yeah, there's there's a uh, there's a big piece of my experience that I haven't articulated that um, I think feeds into that. Um, at Amazon, there's a team called Benchmarking, and it started off with like five or six people um, with uh, a very detailed question from Jeff, saying um, we've heard this uh, this competitor, I think it was Newegg at the time, is shipping really fast, but we don't know how fast. And he looked at our CFO and said, let's go answer that question. And that was our first benchmark where we went and ordered several hundred items from Newegg, several hundred items from Amazon, shipped it to five different cities in the US, and then measured everything about it and came back with uh, an Amazon-like six-page report on this is what we've learned. And it was incredibly insightful. And uh, I was at, that was one of the teams that I was asked to, to build. And over the course of about 12 years, grew a team from about five people to well over 100 global, always just obsessively thinking about strategy from a competitor set. Um, Amazon's obsessed about customers, but pays very close attention to what are competitors doing and then what are the strategic things that we need to do to make sure our customers are always getting better customer experience. And that particular uh, role, I learned so much about strategy, influence, and having a seat at the table. In fact, was demanded to be at the table uh, to represent what's the real customer experience that's being, um, being experienced by the customers. And uh, the, the other piece of it is I learned so much while at Amazon about uh, really being um, a strategic voice, not just in you know, the, the record keeping and the budgeting, but in the modeling and strategic decisions. And, and Amazon has this model where uh, GMs of every business are paired with their kind of divisional CFO. And it's funny, they, they walk around in pairs all over the place. You never see a GM without their finance person. And so the idea of, uh, you know, big decisions being made and the finance person isn't in the room was completely foreign at Amazon. And that's the environment that I grew up in. And when you think about, like, how do you earn that seat at the table, um, I think it's all about uh, thinking like an owner. And it, the, the concept of an owner, um, of, of course, they're going to have some controllership things like, you don't leave your, um, 
you know, your vacation home and, and leave the, the front door open and come back two months later. That's irresponsible. So as a finance person, you're going to make sure there's some controls in place, you know, and, and you know, cash is secured and things like that. Um, but I think the element about adding value from an owner's perspective is also like, how do we make the best decisions possible? How do we double down when we see things that are promising? And so finance should not be the organization that's always saying no, or is just kind of a checkbox along the way, but should be an organization that influences for the best possible decisions from an owner's perspective. And so it's, uh, in fact, there were moments in time at Robinhood in this first year where I think people were just like very shocked and pleased that the finance person was saying lower price and the finance person was saying invest more. We're not hiring fast enough. We need to have a more aggressive plan. And I think it's that owner's mentality that I'm, I'm referring to that, that gets that seat at the table. Got it. And so at uh, a place like Amazon, clearly, you know, everybody knows how the company has, has done over the last 20, 25 years, right? But uh, in an environment like that, when you think about how finance is partnering with the business compared to uh, some horror stories that we have seen in, in the recent past. It could be a Theranos, it could be a WeWork, and you know, and, and the kind of uh, stories that have come out in terms of behavior and controls and corporate governance and all of that kind of stuff. Clearly, it looked like you know, Amazon didn't have that problem. But how do you think about uh, the role of finance in, in those kinds of situations, right? And, and how have you approached that? Uh, because especially as a company grows as quickly as Amazon, maybe there are pockets where there are issues and problems that need to get squatted, you know, uh, squatted down and things yeah. like that, right? And so how, how have you approached that? I think it's an, it's an important question. The, the issue of kind of ethics and um, compliance and, and all of that is uh, really about tone at the top. And if, if you've got the right tone at the top, then the things that you find within an organization are individual actors that are making bad decisions and, and uh, are immediately dealt with. If you have the wrong tone at the top, then you've got these like massive frauds and um, issues that you're kind of referring to. And while I think that the role of finance is super important contributing to that tone, um, if you've got the wrong tone, if you have founders or a senior leadership team that is just not aligned on, on a um, ethical and appropriate way to conduct business, I'm not sure that a finance org is necessarily going to be able to change that. But, uh, but I think that, so what I would say to everyone here is make sure that when you're looking at a company that you're going to join, that you really assess and get comfortable that it's the right tone. You never want to be a finance person at a company that has the wrong tone. And that doesn't end well, right? Um, and every job I had at Amazon and certainly the job I have at Robinhood, um, you'd never want to be in those if you had the wrong tone. And very comfortable in both of those organizations that it's like, we just want to do the right thing. And how do we do the right thing? And we obsess about customers. And when you're in that kind of environment, um, I think, uh, you know, building all the mouse traps and detection or, you know, things, all that stuff you should do. You should have your system of internal controls 
and you should take instances where people make bad decisions, bad ethical decisions, and you should act swiftly and decisively when that happens, and that contributes to the tone. Um, but I don't think you can walk into uh, an organization that's got the wrong tone and expect the finance team to just all of a sudden overnight switch it. And any thoughts on when you suggested that test for it, right, and get confidence that the company has the right values and set of ethics. And uh, when you think back uh, to your uh, process of engaging with Robin Hood, like how did you build that confidence? Like, is there anything you did that gave you the confidence that, yeah, these are the right group of people who have, I share value, uh, the right set of values with? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of just uh, interacting with the founders and the leadership team um, and asking questions that uh, were just probing about how they think about um, customer experience and how they think about profitability. And, um, you know, is it hair on fire towards IPO at all cost? Or is it, do we want to build a lasting, meaningful business? And you, you get signals along the way of asking those probing questions where you walk away. And as I did with Robinhood, obviously, from my decision, um, you know, the founders are uh, truly focused on democratizing the financial system for everybody. And the decisions that they're making are not based on how do we get as rich as possible, but how do we enable uh, everyone in our, in, our, uh, in our society to be able to save for the future and, and make great decisions over time, um, you know, to further their, their goals. And that kind of orientation signaled to me that, um, that they want to do the right thing. And, you know, I also probed on specific questions around, um, you know, their commitment to building up a robust compliance organization and building a finance organization and the answers to those kinds of questions, uh, founders will be transparent and you'll, you'll get a signal of, oh, they're just the scorekeepers, we don't need to invest there. Or if they're engaging as you talk to them about building a uh, finance team that's really engaged with the business and helping to make the right decisions, if you see them kind of tune out, then that's a signal that you know, maybe that's not the uh, place that you want to go. That's great. So uh, before I hand it over to the audience for questions, a couple of questions about the future, right? And so over that last 20, 25 year journey, what have some of the big changes been in, in how corporate finance has kind of evolved, right? Has, has anything changed in a big way in your experience over that time? And uh, I'll come to my next question, which is the the next 10 years, 15 years kind of thing, right? And so uh, yeah. over the course of your uh, career and experience, how has that been? Like, has corporate finance changed a lot? So, you know, obviously my, most of my experience came uh, from Amazon. And when I joined Amazon, you know, the finance team was very small. The company was very small. It was about 3,000 people. I think by the time I left the company, I was like at 0.1% of, you know, the, the, the most senior. Uh, and so it evolved dramatically in that organization. And it, it went from, you know, trying to close the books in 20 days to, you know, more of what I was describing. You know, so that benchmarking team that I talked about where that was obsessed about customer experience was in, was in the finance work. And so many why people. Yeah, ah, see, why, here we why go. Were they in the finance team? Because that's how finance was viewed as strategic uh, and, and aligned and thinking as owners. And I think that that's the evolution that I saw at, at Amazon. And I think that if, if we as kind of finance leaders can bring that owner's mentality and that obsession for customers and that incredibly high standard and sense of urgency on doing the right thing for the business and the right thing for customer experience, 
then I think you continue to see finance earn its seat at the table and earn its seat kind of as a, as a key decision maker. And of course, we won't make a decision without the finance person in the room. And I'm excited to see what we've been able to do uh, in a year when I started. There was about 10 people in accounting and one contractor um, in finance. And we've, we, in a year, we've made tremendous progress building out a finance team, aligning them to each part of the business and, and building that cadence and earning that trust. And that's part of what we talk about is like, how do we earn that trust and how do we earn that seat at the table? And it's, it's not something where you can just say, I need to be in the room and I need to do this. You have to earn that over time. And, and it'll be different in every part of the organization. Some leaders will be more open to it and it'll, it'll just happen organically and quickly. And others, it's gonna be a long slog and we have to be willing to handle either one of those situations. And it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be earned. It's not gonna be just granted uh, because you've, you've got the finance hat on. Great, so you know, one or more people in this room, hopefully many people in this room will be up for that CFO role over the next, say, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, right? And so if you were to kind of try to look around the corner a bit and you had to kind of give them some advice on, hey, these might be things you want to kind of you know, get better at or, or watch out for? And are there things you think about as a CFO, right? There's, there are rumors that Robin Hood might be going public soon. And as you think about, uh, uh, you know, how the market is evolving and changing, how are you keeping up to date and, and learning? And, and what do you think will happen 10 years from now? Well, I have no crystal ball. Um, I did not predict uh, that the stock would, uh, the <laughs> stock market would decline in the last couple of days. Uh, but uh, so I, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to have a ton of wisdom to say, you know, you know what you should do or, or don't. I would refer back to, you know, my earlier comments that um, really double down on your strengths, find some of your weaknesses, and then work on those, and find opportunities to take stretch assignments or uh, rotate, and don't worry about. Um, is this a, a an obvious progression in my career? Take some lateral moves. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is, uh, you know, I, I'm a bit of an outlier having spent 20 years um, at a company. Um, I'd like to, maybe not 20 years, but I'd like to see some longer stretches uh, by, uh, you know, uh, our finance leaders uh, because it's weathering storms and going through periods of hardship that you get so much learning. And, um, and you, it's, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in the specifics of the moment of my boss did that or, you know, my coworker's difficult or, boy, I feel like I've been doing the same thing for a long time. If you're just willing to weather some storms and show a little bit of patience, um, as long as you're at a company that's kind of dynamic, um, I, I think longer stretches will develop you in, in new and interesting ways rather than just always changing the the overall environment. And so that, those would be the kind of words of encouragement um, that I would give. Awesome, that's great, Jason. I, I'm gonna hand it over uh, uh, to the audience. Any questions, anybody? Yeah, so um, as it relates to a career path and getting to the CFO role, you talked about getting a range of different experiences like audit, controllership, um, FP&A. What about making sure that you're relevant across different industries. Or in other words, coming from Amazon, what made you qualified to work at the CFO of FinTech company? Yeah, it's completely unqualified. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing. You know, so 
That was one of the that was one of the big questions that I think the founders had, and one of the things that I had to get comfortable on. I was coming from a tech company, and I was going into a fintech company, but I mean, it's a regulated, registered broker dealer. Like, this is very specialized. So why was I comfortable? Uh, when I joined Amazon, it was selling books, music, and what they called video, which was DVDs, right? And uh, that company evolved, and I was in roles, whether it was accounting or audit and, you know, down the line, where I was having to learn new things and build and get smart on new businesses, new geographies, one after the other. And uh, learning one new business, to me, it, by, after 20 years of doing that at Amazon, was not intimidating. Um, but that's not to undersell, like, hey, it's complicated, it's a complicated business, and you have to be able to dig in and be curious and, and be willing to ask dumb questions and then ask it again because you just didn't even understand what they said. And, and I've had those moments. Um, there's a couple Robin Hoodies in the room. They know that uh, you know, I've had some of those, those uh, experiences. So I happen to have been at a company that had multiple uh, industries within its walls. I mean, web services is very different than um, you know, the music business, which is different than the video uh, production business and, and certainly different from the logistics business. And I had an opportunity to learn all of those businesses from various vantage points. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, if you're at a company that's in a single vertical, then you should be aware of that as you're spending your time. I don't think it's a reason to leave after two years, but maybe it's a reason to leave after seven or something. Um, and, uh, and again, I would make those decisions with a longer term um, viewpoint on, your, on what you're trying to accomplish. Hi, um, thank you for sharing your career path um, earlier. So I'm an accounting profession for the past 10 years. I'm currently thinking about switching to finance. Um, given that, so you have an um, advice for me, I have to position myself, emphasizing my strengths to a higher manager who's probably looking for somebody who has prior um, strategic finance or FP&A experience. Yeah, and it's a great question. I'll, I'll repeat it in case uh, you didn't hear. So 10 years of, of accounting and how do you position that if you want to transition into um, another area like finance or FP&A? You know, I think that um, I think it's, it's helpful if you're at a company that supports rotation and development. And I was lucky enough to be at a company that did that. And I'm pushing that um, mentality at Robinhood as well. And in fact, we've just recently had a couple people move from the accounting org into the finance org. Um, there are, uh, are going to be people that are open and receptive to taking smart people who understand the language of business, which is accounting, and can recognize that you can flex and you can do different things. I also think that uh, it's helpful for you to uh, see if you can take some stretch assignments uh, while you're in roles like accounting to get maybe some FP&A experience or uh, some modeling experience or uh, decision support kind of experience um, and then leverage that in those conversations. Um, but I think um, I've, seen, uh, I, I've seen people very successfully move out of accounting and into uh, finance roles. And so uh, a presumption that that doesn't work, I think, is false. Uh, but I also think it has a lot to do with um, your willingness to be curious and to learn. And if you're 10 years in accounting, a willingness to step back a little bit in the short term 
in order to progress yourself longer in a more generalized way over time. Um, so you mentioned the benchmarking team twice and within finance as well. There's so many different metrics to look at. How did that team or maybe some other teams at Amazon really define their metrics and what they're going to be focusing on? Yeah, so the, the question was what metrics did, did benchmarking um, pay attention to? Um, you know, by the, by the end of kind of the, the time that I was there, the North Star metric was net promoter score. Um, and I won't, I won't bore you guys with the definition of it, but it, it's really a measure of sentiment by your customers about how many are, are promoting, how many are kind of lukewarm, and how many are actively detracting. And um, it, it is a uh, very powerful and strong signal on whether or not you're delivering on customer experience. Um, the metrics that Amazon used for uh, benchmarking were things like speed. You know, like it was, taken, it was taken as an article of faith that faster beats slower every time. And there was really no debate um, about investing. Uh, and in fact, after I've left, they've gone to like one day shipping. There's a number of kind of metrics, but you have to step back and ask yourself, what are the things that your customers care about? And measure those things. And from a benchmarking um, perspective, um, uh, it's really all about understanding the customer. And it's talking to the customer and learning about what matters to them and then obsessively measuring those things and then um, you know, delivering, that, delivering that news back to your business partners and holding, holding their feet to the fire to say, we're not as good as we thought we are and, and here's what customers are telling us. So we'll do one more question and then I think we'll end, but Jason is going to stick around for a, a little bit after that and uh, feel free to come up and, and uh, speak with him, right? So please, go ahead. Hi, I'm Justin with the company Singular. So Jason, earlier you mentioned that at the beginning of your career, you had a 5, 10, 15-year plan. Now that you're a CFO, uh, what does that plan look like? Ah, that's interesting. Um, it's a great question. So what's my, what's my plan now and, and how does my my 10 to 15 year plan uh, look like? So, uh, uh, great question, let me process. Okay, got it. Um, the honest answer is that now I wanna be qualified to be a board member at a, at a public company. So what do I have to do to be qualified to be a public company? Well, you know, 20 years at Amazon, great start. CFO of a fast growing company, also very, uh, uh, complementary to that, but I think uh, I think we need to be successful at Robinhood, um, and and I think we need to grow a meaningful um, uh, business over time. Um, I don't necessarily me think that means you have to be a public company. You could be, you know look at Stripe, which I, I have a great amount of uh, admiration for that company, uh, and they're private and, and huge. And so it's all about how can I help Robinhood become. Uh, the biggest, most uh, impactful for our customers' company that it can be. And I think that will contribute to um, uh, my qualifications to be able to, to sit on a board someday. Great. So. Awesome. So, Jason, thank you so much. This was incredibly insightful. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank, thank you. Thanks you. again. It's great being here. Thank you. Thank you.